Happy International Haiku Day 2023. I know podcast law says you shouldn't give out the date, but you know what? I can't miss this opportunity, can I? I'll be doing something special to celebrate this day on our YouTube channel. That's Poetry P. If you've subscribed, you'll naturally get it sent to you. But if you haven't, head on over there and see what we're up to. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy this podcast full of original haiku and senryu. Happy days, eh? Welcome back to the Haiku P podcast. If you're a regular, you'll know I'm Patricia. If you're new here, you are most welcome. I hope you'll become an active member of our Haiku group. Email me your thoughts and of course, take part in all our opportunities to submit and get your poetry out there. April 2023 is a special month. There are a few reasons. I'm going to try and bring you a little bit of Haiku and Senryu or Haibun every Monday. Do subscribe to our YouTube channel, Poetry P, and or our podcast, Haiku P, wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, it's in the top 5% of podcasts on Spotify and Apple. Not too bad for an independent, eh? You can take us for walks, you can take us in the car, or listen to us while you do those mundane tasks. Personally, I listen when I'm on the stationary bike in the gym. Helps make the time fly. Because it's so boring. There's going to be another opportunity for you to get your poetry out in the world. I'll be offering spontaneous, last-minute submission calls for Haiku and Senryu, which I'll then read on another Haiku P podcast. These will happen intermittently throughout the year and will only be offered to poets on the mailing list. Do sign up on the website. You can unsubscribe if you find the newsletters a bit too much. So, your mission, if you choose to accept it, sign up for the mailing on the website, go to your podcast provider and subscribe to Haiku P if you're not already, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Poetry P. Now one last piece of housekeeping, and then we're off to the original work that you've had accepted for this topic. If you're listening to this in April 2023, and you sent me a split sequence or two last month, you'll hear back by the end of this month. If you don't, check your spam, and if my reply isn't there, email me. So, reimagining poetry. I set you a hard task, didn't I? It was as hard, if not harder, for the editing team, God bless them. But this was a great opportunity for all of us to practice illusion, linking and shifting, which you definitely took advantage of, and I'm very proud of the work we accepted. My thanks to the team, Lorraine Padden, Vandana Parashar, Liam Maguire and Ronald K. Craig for all the work you put in and all the messages we sent back and forth, because I learned so much from you. And a special thanks to Robert Horobin, who edits and has joined me in sending out replies. I think it's the least a journal can do to respect the poets who submit. Send out replies. Don't you?
So on to the poetry. Our judges get all the submissions and independently choose their favourite. We have four today, all of whom you'll know for various reasons, but certainly because you've met them here before. We're going to welcome back Lynn Jambor, Ravi Kiran, CX Turner, or Lucy to her friends, and Melanie Alberts. I'm very grateful to you for reading all the submissions, writing up your analyses for the journal, and spending time with me today. Don't forget, if you fancy doing this, it's really quite fun. Do email me and volunteer. Today's first judge is Lynn Chambor. Lynn, welcome back to Haiku P. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for coming. Now, you and Ravi are two of our more regular judges, and I was having a look, and I think actually you hold the record. You first joined us in Series 4 as one of the judges. But having done this so often, Lynn, we're going to be expecting great things from you. So I think you're going to um, you're going to give us something that is quite appropriately from spring. So do tell us, what have you chosen? Well, thank you for those kind words. I must keep coming back because I love doing this. <laughs> and I found this selection, again, was extraordinary. And I had probably a top five, mm -hmm. but I ended up choosing a monocou, a flare of forsythia bursting out of my winter funk. A flare of forsythia bursting out of my winter funk by Kim Clue. Um, we were talking about spring and this, pro this poem just resonated so quickly with me partly based on personal experience that I had and have had in Vancouver when it's just starting to be spring. And the first thing that shows up is that brilliant yellow of the forsythia. It seems you walk by and it's bare and you walk by after a couple more days and there's a burst, a literal burst when all the forsythia come out. The blooms aren't gradual. And they burst into bloom. So I love the word burst, of course. My eyes are tired during the winter when we see the bare branches and, you know, the bushes without the leaves and it's a bit gray. And all of a sudden we're assaulted almost by this bright, profuse yellow amongst all the gray and the gray days and the rain. So burst is a wonderful word for this. You know what gave me a little challenge was winter funk. Because I had in my mind a definition of what funk is. And to me, it was kind of, um, you know, I'm having to think about it. Something full of gray and low spirits and that kind of thing. So I did do a bit of research. And funk is also a style of music, which I, I really was not aware of. And apparently it is music that emphasizes the first beat in what is often African-American dance music. So here was also a jolt away from the raininess and grayness of a winter in the city. So the jolt of music, a jolt of color, and it's all bursting. So now my spirits are pretty high <laughs> after all that activity. Even though I'm not 
a big fan of gerund words because they kind of extend the moment, I do think it works here to really emphasize the smell and the sight and the, the visual beat and the spiritual beat away from the low spirits to positive spirits around the you know emerging spring-like weather and that kind of activity. I did not know that the nickname of Forsythia is actually an Easter tree. So again, appropriately heralding spring. The yellow Forsythia has a slight fragrance of almonds, which is fresh. And again, I learned something else. The flowers are used in Chinese medicine for anti-inflammatory properties. So we're emphasizing the health benefits of sight, a beautiful spring bush, smell, a slight almond fresh, and taste, which I haven't tasted yet. I will <laughs> be honest about that. But I think that has to happen. And dance. This connection between mind and body, sight, smell, taste, dance, is just what a monoku should do. You should be able to read that, get a superficial sense at first of spring and joy, and then as you reread it and reread it again, you start to delve into a little bit more about what it is referring to. And now, of course, it's my favorite. I also like the sound of it. Like, I like the flare. I, I wasn't thinking fireworks so much, but just a flare, like a flare of a rocket. The flare for Scythia funk. Flare for Scythia, and then the more harsh funk. So you get a deeper, I, I believe, connection between the gray funk and the flare of Forsythia. So I love the way it reads. That is definitely my choice for this month. It's really interesting. That's why I love doing these uh, sessions. First of all, I didn't know it was called the Easter tree. Me neither. Yeah. Um, and my, and we, I say it differently. I say Forsythia, but mine burst into bloom weeks and weeks ago uh, when we still had the snow covering everything here and it was just so nice to see again after the winter funk to to see this bush just as you said flare into color it was it was brilliant and I hadn't thought about funk in the way of music I had just thought about the word funk as um, meaning the depression sort of a depressive meaning and I like the way mm. you brought that sort of rhythm and, the, and the, the funk and I should have thought about it because uh, as a teenager that was probably my favorite type of music so that was great thank you very very much Lynn now we'll get on with a little bit more original poetry morning rush a pigeon outside my window doing nothing Vandana Parashar Wastrel on the sun deck Bad clams Jerome Berglund Leaving the coal mine Shaking off soot A canary Richard Bailey Lost in the stillness Silence has no signposts Alison Douglas Turner Deep Winter 
Looking for a Path Out of the Woods Adele Evershed Emergency Stop A stag swerves into the frosted forest Erica E. Benson Chef Sharwin Wandering the narrow streets of the blue sky Kimberly Kucher Kimberly, I know you gave me instructions. I really hope I followed them and it, I got that one right. But forgive me if I didn't. Please. Slushy Road, kicking the tyres at a green light. Kyle G. Jones. A snowdrop, a snowdrop, a summer. Joshua Sinclair Kemmelt train stop Snow whites out everything but platform lights Richard Tice Winter nightfall A deeper understanding of the pines Keith Everts The snowy trail her footprints, now bigger than mine, lead on ahead. Anne Morrigan The trailing smoke of roasting chestnuts. Evening commute. Farah Ali Dark and deep snowdrops peek out. Gunshots. Marilyn Ashbell Crisp morning, the urge to explore, irresistible. E. Ivanka Ettinger Dark and deep tonight, these woods iced snowy white. Linda L. Ludwig Spring sunrise, I linger near my window for one more birdsong. By Sally Chatterjee Doot. I'd just like to take a little break here and say some thank yous. Poetry P can't survive without your donations. And I'm always grateful for them. Thank you. And last month, I'd like to say a special thank you to Linda Ludwig, Susan Andrews, Angiola Inglese, Jason Furtak, Gabrielle Tolliver, Mira Rehm, Marilyn Ashbaugh, Matt Snyder, Mimi Ahern, Margaret Sullivan, Eve Castle, Ian Speed, Tony Williams and Colette Kern. And of course to everyone who bought a copy of the journal and made a donation when they accessed the show notes. Or indeed, there were some of you who wanted to remain anonymous. Thank you all. Much appreciated. And on we go with the poetry. Final month. Tides wash upon shores out of reach. Eve Castle. Echoes of the iron horse's snort. Rusting. 
Kurt Lindemann First monsoon, the road home becomes a mountain stream. Muskan Auja Longer riffs, the longer we listen. House Finch Cynthia Anderson Grown-ups on the monkey bars. Spring Breeze Tim Kremen Cutting through spring again. Whale of a heron. Bijutprabha Kantayal. Metro rail stop. Nothing but graffiti on the platform sign. Deborah P. Kologi. Dusty snow globe. The fourth stage of grief. P. H. Fisher. Cotswold Villages, the warm honey tones in a stranger's voice. Tracy Davidson. The still dark lake I extend into another me. Sangeeta Kalarakal. Pausing to inhale the flowered path in Grandma's garden. Douglas J. Lanzo South Gloucestershire The night we stopped and stared Northern Lights Wendy Ghent Now for those of you who don't know Southern England that's quite an event to see the Northern Lights so far south it's amazing and I'm particularly aggrieved because as you may know I went off to the Arctic Circle to find them and didn't see them. Say la vie. Heavy fog. Highway stretches a few feet at a moment. Ram Chandran. March moon. One more spring in his cap. Dire bat. Silence greets me on my darkest night. A snowy owl. Jan Stretch. A stream of stars ride the sky. Winter darkness. Lakshmi Ayer. Bluebell Wood. A strange call pulls me into the veiled mist. Mira Rehm Canary Song Filling the blank space between lines Daniela Miso Now our next judge is Ravi Kiran. Ravi, last time you appeared on the podcast, you partnered with Lynn too. And that was on Season 5, Episode 22, if anyone would like to go back and listen. I remember we had a good old discussion after that judging. I hope we're going to do that again today. Welcome back, Ravi. Thank you, Patricia. I appreciate it. Lovely to have you. So tell us, who and what have you chosen? 
the poem I have chosen for this time is by Wai Mei Wong. She's from Canada, if I'm not mistaken. And the poem is End of the Month, the skyscraper borrows half the moon. End of the month, the skyscraper borrows half the moon. Now, this high copy to me at many levels. The first thing to grab my attention was the first line, end of the month. Coming from a middle class background, I understand what this unassuming phrase means. The finances of the family would have dried up and one reluctantly gets into a borrowing spree. Now this can be cash or as it is common where I live, food items like rice, and coffee powder and things like that. Then we are taken to lines two and three where we are introduced to the main characters, skyscraper and the moon. Having lived most of my life in a city, I'm drawn to the contrasts of nature in urban setting. Now this could be a bonsai in an apartment or a moon between skyscrapers. The next dimension was the statement that the skyscraper is borrowing. The Wall Street, which has become a symbol of the financial markets, is full of skyscrapers too, and borrowing is a common activity by the institutions there. The best part was line three, half the moon. We are not told if the moon is actually a full moon or a half moon. All we can see is the moon half eclipsed by the skyscraper. This opens up many possibilities like a good high cushion. What was borrowed, would that be returned or defaulted? And if so, what would be the consequences and so on? By the time I recover from the delight the three lines offer me, my left brain points out that this is personification. This debate has been inconclusive for centuries and my humble take is that it is alright to employ the poetic device occasionally and many masters have done so through the ages. Thank you. Thank you, Ravi. So yes, a slightly controversial choice, Ravi, and I'm glad you chose it because it gives us a chance to air an opinion held by many in the haiku community and our lovely listeners can make up their own minds and perhaps even email me their thoughts and I can add them to the show notes perhaps. So like you said, the opinion is split. Anthropomorphism, does it have a place in haiku? Yes or no? Ravi, we sort of semi-talked about this, or at least I mentioned it to you when we were discussing it. And um, I did a little bit of research and I looked at Gabby Greaves' website and I'll put that in the show notes. And she says anthropomorphism is usually avoided in traditional Japanese haiku since it collides with the idea of sachet, um, a sketch from life. But she also says, as you did, there are exceptions when a very special effect is aimed at. Now, I found one, and I, I don't know what you think of it. You can tell me, Ravi. It's by Isa, Isa, and it was translated by David Lanoui. The kitten plays hide and seek in bush clover. The kitten plays hide and seek in bush clover. And I thought maybe that is the exception because you can just about see the kitten performing an action that looks like hide and seek. And you obviously disagree with me. Can a skyscraper borrow half the moon? The borrowing I saw as looking up at a skyscraper and you can only, and it's blocking out 
half of the moon. So mm. I saw an image as well as what was evidently the interpretation of the financial consideration. Well, I think it's just fascinating how Rave saw the skyscraper borrowing half of the moon as um, a financial transaction. I didn't see it that way. And perhaps that just is just me. I don't know. Um, But I thought of it just reflection, borrowing just being a reflection and the moon just being so generous and with its light. And that's how I saw it. Um, but I'm glad that I, I listened to Ravi's interpretation because that, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. We can probably continue this discussion after in, in the judging panel afterwards, Ravi. But I think whether whatever side of the argument you're on on this one, I think it's fair to say that uh, Y May's poem is an absolutely brilliant poem. Um, so I thank you very much for bringing it to us, Ravi. We had a few internet connection problems, shall we say, when we were recording this, and I got myself in a bit of a tiz and forgot to ask Ravi to read his piece of work to us. Oh, Ravi, I'm so sorry. Let me see if I can do it justice. Empty platform. A blackbird echoes the train's whistle. Empty platform. A blackbird echoes the train's whistle. Ravi Kiran. Lovely piece of work though, Ravi. Thank you. Meadow mist. Those invisible roses sent the dawn. Brett Brady. A sky-blue day. Drifting clouds and daffodils. Susan Andrews. Spring. Cracking the door wide open, a cat slides through. Jen Ryan Yaragui. Stop, not stop, no time to lose, snows gathering. Ian Speed. Keeping quiet, the nightingale starts its solo. Natalia Kuznetsova. Slowing train, in nearby open windows, drying laundry. Krista Pandy. The midday train, in its whistle, childhood screams. Vipanjit Kaur. Planting lavender, the blue sky above. Nina Singh. Flat tyre. Watching hot red dirt swirl a long way from home. Rob McKinnon. Musing, the leaf rests on a bench before its final drop. John S. Green. Bluebirds through the kitchen window. I burned the toast. Robert Whitmer. Envelope. How can I send you this sparrow's chirp? Minal Sarosh. 
On little feet she runs, head thrown back, laughing, daffodils. Mimi Ahern Horse flies, a mare swipes, to the left. Richard L. Matter Milton Keynes Train tracks hum, a dragonfly's stripes. Tim Roberts Snowdrift Another call goes to voicemail. Kerry J. Heckman But for my flat tyre, I would not have met you, Rabbit. Eric A. Lohman Foggy Street, the fragrance of roses from a laundry door. Laurie Kiefer Wildflowers, how quiet this lone child. Amulia Kamalnath Melanie, welcome back to the podcast. We last heard from you on the judging panel in Series 5, Episode 16, when you very kindly joined us to judge the vulgar episode. (laughs) I'm so pleased that didn't put you off. And thank you very much for coming back and being with us for what is perhaps a more genteel topic. I'm delighted to be here, as always. (laughs) Thanks, Melanie. So tell us, which poem did you choose and why? I agree. It was difficult to choose, but the one that I decided was um, by Jenny Shepard. Washing on the line for the first time this year, everything flutters. Washing on the line for the first time this year, everything flutters. In her haiku, Jenny Shepard captures the promise of the warm intermittent breeze that Billy Collins celebrates in his poem today. Uplifted is a key word in Billy's poem. It signifies not only the release of frigid winter weather, but signals the inherent freedom at the core of our being. This lifting up, this awakened sense of freedom is what makes us smile when the elements are aligned with our desire to be one with the forces of nature instead of resenting them. Who doesn't look forward to the ease of spring? Washing on the line is prosaic enough for many of us to form a picture or to recall a memory. We might think of hanging laundry on a line ourselves or remembering an older adult, maybe a grandmother, with wooden clothespins in her apron pocket, one clenched in her teeth, lifting the wet clothes, heavy towels and sheets, and trusting that after a long sunny afternoon, the chore would be done. But not every laundry day is ideally sunny and warm. I see Jenny's washing hung to dry on a damp gray April morning. There's a feeling of stuckness as the wet fabric chills down. 
But by the afternoon, several hours later, the stiff, solid creases have relaxed. They begin to wave slightly in the breeze. Once it's noticed that everything flutters for the first time this year, we sense that longer, lighter, and sweeter days are ahead. The fluttering lifts up the corners of the wash and elevates our moods. In Billy's poem, the snow globe paperweight people are free to walk out of their frozen landscape, holding hands into a welcoming breeze. And we enter the scene, happily ready after a long wait to gather fresh wash scented of spring into our basket. I share Jenny's joy at having the washing out on the line for the first time in the year. And I, I just felt when I read this that she'd captured my mood perfectly. Although when I first moved here to Switzerland, I was not used to the pretty cold nature of the, the winters and, and the springs. Uh, and my neighbours must have had a right old laugh at me putting my washing out and watching it, watching it freeze on the line. I can remember bringing them in actually uh, like cardboard, you know, mm-hmm. no fluttering there. So that's wonderful. Thank you very, very much, Melanie. You're welcome. Freshly painted walls along their edges, someone else's colours. David Josephson. Snowfall, the last love letter in my pocket. Anna Maria Domberg, San Cristoforo. After the rain between the rocks, a dandelion blooms. Bona M. Santos. North wind, the closeness of chickens in the coop. Colette Kern. Sunlit downland gate. We wait for a microlight to buzz off. Dorothy Burrows. Ripe avocados. A dreamy nod in warm wind. David Kawika Air. Anxiously pouring at unfamiliar white stuff. Tortoise shell kitten. Jenny Wynn Hyatt. His granite bench, autumn leaves covered in silence. Joan C. Fingen. Snow moon falling from the light onto a page. John Hawkhead Spring breeze, my newborn's first word, Daisy Nisha Ravi Prasad And if you're ever talking to Nisha, do ask her about that one. There's a lovely little story behind it. Rock through a window, the pattern of shards matches our carpet. Lorraine A. Padden Late night train We carry the moon across miles Mona Beddy 
garden sprinkler. The house sparrow takes a head bath. Ah, Suresh Babu. Snowbirds return, listening to Winter's End. Tina More. Honeysuckle, even though the dog barks and the traffic roars. Tony Williams. Blizzard skiing, the surprise calls of crows. Doris Lynch. Unfortunately, Lucy, or CX Turner as we know her in the writing community, was unable to join us today at the last minute. But I have her poem and her analysis, so I'll read it to you. Just pretend you can hear Lucy's voice instead of mine. So here we go. The house of my birth, staring at the sounds of summers long gone. The house of my birth, staring at the sounds of summers long gone. And that's by Ronald K. Craig. And Lucy says this. I immediately liked this poem on first reading and found myself coming back to it. Always a good sign of a wonderful poem. On first reading, I enjoyed that each line stood on its own and the overall sense of nostalgia built as one image stacked upon another. I was immediately drawn into imagining the past and I wanted to just sit with it for a while and think about it one line at a time, to consider all the meanings and different pictures that form in my mind. On second reading, I found myself wondering how the poet had been inspired by the long-form poets of Frost and Thomas, and to me it's captured in the sense of time passing that this poem evokes so clearly. To take each line one at a time, I'll elaborate on these initial impressions. Line one, the house of my birth. What house is this line referring to? Does the poet still live there or are they remembering or recalling a story they were told about where they were born? What sort of house was this? Where was it? What was it like? The use of the ellipsis adds a pause that leads the reader to wonder what isn't being said or what needs pondering before moving on to the second line of the poem. It also draws me as the reader into thinking about the house of my birth. Line two, staring at the sounds of summers. My initial thought is that I wonder what the poet is staring at. What is conjuring this image of summer from the sounds? The use of a summer kigo gives, gives rise to numerous sounds associated with summer the poet could be alluding to. Is it one of birdsong or a creaking swing or perhaps children's laughter? It gives the impression of positive experiences and we might wonder why the poet is staring rather than just observing or seeing. This word choice is so poignant, and the connotation is such that the moment captured by the poet is such that the poet cannot help but stop and stare, but does not have the specificity to be sashay. I'm led to consider which Kigo I might consider when thinking about the house of my birth. Line three, long gone. This last line brings the conclusion to this verse to a nostalgic flourish, as one is led to consider what is long gone. Is this the house of the poet's birth from the fragment in line one, or is it the memories or sounds of summer? 
Or is it that the poet themselves is looking back on their past from a perspective of older age? Perhaps they're grieving a loss of some sort, linked to their birth or their childhood. I love this poem. To me, it encapsulates the theme of those reimagined poems by focusing on time and space. It draws on memories, but also places the reader in the now, looking back with whatever feelings this conjures. It shows us that the reader is free to make up the story themselves, and this is perhaps compounded by the lack of ego in the poem, such that the reader can explore what sounds might be associated with their childhood or family home. Thanks, Lucy. And I just wanted to say, because some people might wonder at this, I know Ron is one of our editors, but whilst I don't let the judges choose any of their own works, because it might get a little awkward in the judging panel, I have no problem putting the work of our editors into the mix. They can't influence it at all. So when Lucy told me which poem she'd chosen, I wrote back and said to her, I particularly enjoyed that second line. How many of us, when we're looking at things from our past, can hear the sounds? And I know when I look at pictures of my sister at a certain age, I can hear the Bay City Rollers. When she was still young enough to be forgiven, she was a great fan and insisted on wearing their tartan trousers. And if you haven't got a clue what I'm on about, do Google them and you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> now, I was hoping that Lucy would close out our original work today by reading her own poem. But Lucy, I will try and do, do it justice instead. So here, the poem of CX Turner. Among meadowsweet, lilting sparrow song. Amongst meadowsweet, lilting sparrow song. Thank you, CX Turner. So now all the analysis is done. The judges have had their behind-the-scenes discussion and you will find out who was the eventual judge's choice and who the honourable mentions. All will be revealed in the journal, along with the extra poems that were submitted and accepted for this topic. There are some real crackers left to read. So, your mission is to go to the website and download these poems and savour them once again. If you can make a little donation, that of course would be much appreciated. Thank you for coming along and listening, for submitting to Poetry P. Whether you were successful or not, your submission was read, valued and respected. Thank you to all the editing team here and, of course, today's judges. Do go and tell all your poet friends about us and share our links. Let the world rejoice in Japanese short forms just as we do. Until next time... Keep writing. Now don't tell my kids, but I'm not perfect, and I may have made the odd mistake or two. It has been known. If I have, I apologise in advance. And please, don't be afraid of emailing me and telling me. Ciao!